So what does Keith have for dinner on a regular weekday? Yeah, these things take time. <laughs> time. I wish I had more time to to cook, basically. Do you have any cooking music? Any any music you would listen to if you were cooking? No, I don't really listen. I guess I don't listen to music when I cook food. Interesting point. That kind of brings us back, I feel like, to what we were talking about, this idea of really listening to music, just listening to music, you know, in the moment, not doing anything else. Uh-huh. I feel like I get more emails and messages than most people at my, like, uh, notoriety level just because I, like, run a record label and... Yeah. And like just have my hands in like a, a lot of different things, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um and that's the same reason I've I feel like I've gotten <laughs> I get a lot of interview requests. Like yeah. I I feel like no one has been interviewed more than me who's like is not known as me. If <laughs> I was going to ask you about that. I like when I Google, when I looked um, at interviews, I was like, whoa, there's a like a ton in the recent too, like recent. So I was like, yeah, I hear you, man. That's funny. <laughs> it is funny. It's kind of stupid. But also, I don't I mean, I don't like to say no to like, I don't know if people want to talk, then I, I think it's fine. Like, I don't yeah. I, I usually don't turn down stuff. So asking for things like you, you know, people shoot their shot, I guess. Yeah, uh, like a lot of people ask like not even send like aside from demos a lot of people just like can you check out my music yeah and it's like i've i really like i would love to for everybody but it's like to really check out i don't know it's like you got to put time you have to listen to it and like kind of think about it for a little bit um i wish yeah i wish i had more time to do stuff like that well that actually brings up an interesting question like when you because I did want to ask like how you go about finding people when you are going to seriously listen to a demo like what is the ritual like what's the process like when you're like I really got to listen to this and think about it like do you get in a certain room does it have to be certain headphones how, is there a ritual for that I mean you just focus like you just <laughs> stop just pay attention only to the music um I mean that's it's funny how I've heard other people say that they do that less in general, just like put on headphones and like pay attention only to the music, what they're listening to. Do you know what I mean? That's a big part of musically proper. So I posted this image of that kid in dazed and confused when he gets home from that crazy night where he's hung out with all the seniors and he puts on his headphones Uh to the record player and just like, just sinks into like all the euphoria that he just experienced and just takes in the music. And I love that image because it makes me think about what you're talking about. So what you're saying is right. Less people do. When I, I worked at Skull Candy, a headphone company here in Park City, you might have heard of Skull Candy headphones. And uh, no, I have. It's a good headphone. No, we've they've made some good ones, like, but we wanted to make the headphones good. And so my buddy was on the industrial design team and they did a lot of research, you know, and, and he was telling me how they found that like huge majority of people use music as a secondary activity, right? meaning that they use music, they listen to music while they're doing something else. And, mm-hmm. um, I feel like that's a huge part of kind of where I'm coming from is just embracing that love of music where you treat it like a book or a TV show. Like you just, you just, you go all in, you just focus on the music and 
let it really, you know, you absorb it and let it kind of affect you however it does. So it's that simple. Yeah, just focus on just the music, nothing else. <laughs> I used to do that way more also um, when I was younger, like just lay down and listen to a whole album. Uh, I've been trying to do that more just um, instead of always being on the computer <laughs> listening, which is usually where I'm at. I mean, that makes sense when you're working to listen to podcasts too, because it's like you can kind of, it's the conversation, you know, you just kind of take it in the background. I kind of feel bad sometimes if I'm listening to music, like when I'm working, because I'm like, I know I'm not really capturing it the way I should, you know, I'm not giving it the attention it deserves. So sometimes I like to throw on like a house playlist or just whatever's, you know, instrumental, because that way I, I feel like I'm still getting as much out of it as possible while I'm not fully focusing on it. But yeah, I mean, there's different, also it's like, different music is intended for different listening scenarios. Like, you know, the whole invention of like ambient music was to serve that purpose of like almost a non-conscious listening experience. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. How, no, that's amazing. Well, how do you think like whether it's Eno or any other pioneer of ambient music, how do they fill how do you think they intended for that music to be heard? Like almost as background music. I, th I feel like that's the idea of it, but what does that really mean? Like music while you're working, like it's supposed to calm you while you're working or how do you, how do you see that? Yeah. Well, well, one function for instance is, um, I have like a little crappy record player by my bed and pretty, I, since I was young, I pretty much, uh, go to sleep listening to music. So that's like, that's one, <laughs> Yeah, I'm sure Brian Eno thought of that. Like that's one application <laughs> yeah. of just like, uh, yeah, it's like, I'm trying to think of the word for it. It's just like a non-conscious, it's like not on the tip of your mind. It's in the back of your mind. Um, I'm sure Brian Eno is thinking about like being at work or and being in like social settings or being in, uh, you know, like a bank or just like, you know, yeah. pre-elevator pre music, um, <laughs> like filling life with sound. And that's still, even like now car companies and stuff still have that uh, on their mind. Like, I feel like I was read, reading something about Holly Herndon being asked to like do sound design for, I don't maybe it was like a car, like a new car or something, like the kind of sounds the the machinery makes when it's like doing different functions. So, I mean, that kind of music is still like, it's still in consideration for how you hear music in ways that are other than your soul attention. Um, yeah, I'm not sure how to word it, but no, that's perfect. You know what I'm saying? hundred percent. Yeah. Well, I mean, the sleep application is like, I love that nailed that that makes sense and then when you talk about these other scenarios like yeah like you said the bank i picture like yeah someone walking someone being in the subway a uh, busy subway car like walking down a busy city street like this ability to um it's funny because you know people will say like tune out but like at school candy we really emphasize the tune inside like but that's the idea like you're tuning in to the music while it's kind of tuning out the chaos around you um i really like that thinking of ambient music for that kind of purpose. Yeah, it's basic. I mean, it's just like emotional manipulation. <laughs> yeah, like in 
in the kind of simple form, uh, which people, you know, you could say most music, uh, does that to a degree, but like when you're on, on hold at like a cell phone or like a bank or whoever you like customer service place you're calling, it's like, <laughs> they're trying to like placate you, you know what I mean? Like, um, yeah, I, I don't know. It's, yeah. it's, it's usually serving like the social soothing function essentially. Well, CD, and this is so interesting, like, cause I talked to you about severance, like that show. And it's, I love that. That's the title of the show. Cause it's idea. Like, I love that term. Don't love it. But that idea of like, well, we're going to let you go, but here's a little something because we're letting you go. It's always this idea of kind of sugarcoating or soothing the bigger compromise at hand, you know? And so when you talk about elevator music, like it's like, you're going to something that's really scary or intimidating, but you're giving this nice, pleasurable music along the way or, um, I just, I think that kind of leads itself into vaporwave. Are you familiar with the term vaporware? <laughs> yeah, sure. Well, uh, like I've always, cause vaporware supposedly is like, it's a term that businesses, corporations would use as promote a product that was never meant to be released, like, uh-huh. which is again, a really interesting kind of mind F like funny idea. But do you know, I'm curious, um, do you know who came up with the term vaporwave? Like who actually started to call them this type of slowed down music vaporwave? Do you have any idea? Um, I know, I think some people say it was, was it Adam Harper? Uh, maybe some people at tiny mixtapes maybe might say it was them. Uh, uh I'm not really sure though. Well, that makes sense, right? Just like hypnagogic pop, it's a it's a journalist, like it's someone attaching a term to music so they can kind of box it in or def- define an artist. Like, I didn't think of that. I guess, yeah, because who, what kind of artist is thinking about the art they're creating and thinking, I'm going to call this art vaporwave. You know, I don't, I don't know if it always works like that. So, so you you think it was probably a, a journalist? You know, I'm not, I'm not really sure. I think I know there was like early on there was a few uh popular or relatively popular uh for the for that audience articles about uh the subgenre that kind of like brought it into the public consciousness but yeah i think you'd probably have to do more research on that to really get, really, really find out but um <laughs> Yeah, I know there was some like there was some debate about whether whether it was like Adam Harper or some people at Tiny Mixtapes who like popularized uh, popularized the term, I think. But the yeah. key word is popularized. I don't know if they actually were the first to use it. And I mean, who it doesn't really matter, I guess. But yeah well no that's a good point it doesn't matter i just i find it creative like i think it's i really would wonder like what they heard and why if did they know the term vaporware and that's why they're like this is vaporwave or like um yeah i just think it's a fun word it's an interesting term like so yeah that's a good point i mean it could have been it could have been an artist i mean i don't know yeah i would be curious to research that as well actually um like a lot of times I'll download an album and I'll put on the album and then like a song will just spark something in me and I'll catch it. And then I'll like 
stop and just like listen to that song um and then if i get really into it then i'll like kind of do the same with the whole album basically yeah that's really cool i mean i'm gonna remember that now and probably just kind of take opportunities to do that like if it catches me while i'm you know working or whatever i'll probably i want to step aside and just like wait let's start this over and really hear it do you uh, have a preferred listening format like whether it's tape vinyl uh does it matter um you mean like aside from digital like i digital's the most frequent um for sure i have a i have a tape player in my car and like nice. nothing nothing else so it's like <clears throat> i listen to tapes in my car um and then like i have a little record player next to my bed like a really crappy um, <laughs> the one that like people always make fun of online uh <laughs> but it's, it's like i just have it by my bed and i listen to that as i go to sleep so that i um i really want to get a new i'm i live in an apartment right now i really want to like move and just get a better vinyl or like record player setup just like get a better audio setup in general uh but yeah that's what i'm that's where i'm at now nice okay so so keith keith rankin the co-founder of orange milk this you know ex- great experimental musician what all these things is not an audiophile there's is this <laughs> is this what i'm hearing yeah i guess not like what i mean what are the <laughs> what is an audiophile just like downloading flax and uh like having really extensive like record player and stuff yeah i think so i think in my experience cuz I laugh because I relate to you. I have, I have a very not nice record player either. Like it has a built-in amp. Like it's not vintage. Like you know, it's pretty standard uh-huh. these days. But um, yeah, I feel like audiophiles are the people that really understand their type of record players. They know the type of speakers out there. They care about where they place it. They probably like go after certain headphones, um, that kind of thing. So yeah, I mean, I care about it in, to some degree. Like. Um, like I like good headphones. Mm-hmm. Um, I, what, the ones I have on are, what are these? <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't even say on here, but, oh, a F- Philips Fidelio. Ooh. These, um, these are like pretty good headphones. And, um, like when I'm making music, I like to hear it through a variety of uh, speakers. I have like some Yamaha monitors, uh, but I yeah, it's it's like I could definitely level up a lot. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's great. That's cool. So yeah, I noticed you got the uh, the shirt on. This is for this is the cover from the last album. Yeah, for my last Giant Claw album, Mirror Guide. You did a, a collaboration with uh, We Are Brain Dead, right? For some t-shirts as well? Yeah, I did. Um, I never even, I've never seen them. They never sent any to me. Oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> Come on. Yeah. <laughs> those out to Keith. I know. But yeah, I mean, <laughs> it was cool. Like, I liked the design. It was cool. <laughs> Interesting connection. You... So you worked on some animation for Home Shake, uh-huh. and and Home Shake did a, a collaboration with We Are Brain Dead recently. That's where I'm making that connection there. But 
Um, can you tell me about that animation collaboration with Homeshake? Like how it came about, who you worked with, and what that was like? Yeah, it was. I mean, it was because of Brain Dead, because uh, uh, Homeshake's like manager, maybe someone who works with Homeshake, I believe, also works at Brain Dead. You know, we talked a little bit about ambient music earlier. Do you listen to to Homeshake's music at all? I mean, I imagine you have to some extent at this point, but um, yeah, I mean, I haven't um before but i mean i feel like i've especially this obviously the song i did the animation for is like i've heard it now like that. <laughs> uh, a lot <laughs> and it's very yeah. embedded, embedded in my mind kind of that makes sense i um <clears throat> well let I me mean, not to put you on the spot like whether or not you're a fan or anything but i just i thought it was interesting because i think what he's doing is kind of uh, it, like I don't really hear a lot of other people that sound a lot like Homeshake. I feel like he's blending some really interesting influences. I feel like there's some ambient stuff in there. I feel like there's some maybe hip hop leaning stuff in there. And kind of com- if that was true, combining those areas of like ambient and maybe hip hop touches, like maybe just in the drums or whatever, that's a really cool thing. So um, I love yeah. seeing that you two kind of connected. Yeah, people, <laughs> I saw people in the YouTube comments of that video were kind of like, blasting it for being like so chill or something really Um, (laughs) but that's what i came to love about that song particularly is kind of what you're saying that it was just like yeah very like even very just like understated almost like yeah bordering on this like kind of rock and roll r&b ambient style uh i mean yeah that's the appeal to me i guess um 100 but in general like i'm not like i enjoy that music but i don't it's not like the thing that i'm seeking out all the time um essentially i mean i would consider it more in the like rock and roll world to a degree just because i guess i associate things with like um that instrumentation um in that world, even though it's obviously there's plenty of exceptions to that. But, yeah. uh, like when there's like, you know, guitar, live drums, live bass, um, I feel like that kind of music I hear and seek out less than like electronic music, I would say. Um, sure. but when I find something that is like, you know, like excites me, I really like it in that world also. <laughs> yeah, that's cool. Um, what type of artists are you listening to these days? Is it usually older music or do you enjoy finding like, you have to enjoy finding new music. Obviously you're on orange milk. So um, where do you discover yeah. your music most of the time? Yeah. I mean, there's, you know, there's a few sides to it. A lot of it is um, orange milk gets a lot of demos uh, and we, you know, we have for years now. So it's like, that is one side of it where you kind of get a sense of like where these little micro music scenes are at, like where their headspace is. Oh um, yeah. <laughs> That's cool. Yeah. Like, um, well, and it's also a sign of like what people associate the label with. Cause like you, like when we first started, we get, we would get a ton of, um, like ambient and drone demos and then that kind of transitioned to like a lot of vaporwave style demos. And then it kind of went into more just like a general abstract electronic 
Um, and it's kind of stayed in that realm. Like, so yeah, there's just a lot. Of, I mean, and a lot of them is really good. Like there's, there's a lot of people making like, <laughs> making good music that like two people are listening to. Um, yeah. which is kind of frustrating. Cause it's like, uh, you know, I would love to work with more people, but, um, like time and money holds, holds things back all the time. Um, called like freedom to spend has been doing these reissues, um, mm-hmm. of like a lot of nineties kind of like new age stuff and just like kind of older, like esoteric music. Uh, so there's this group, okay. um, uh, called Uman that they did a reissue of that I kind of fell in love with. And then, mm-hmm. Like I just got on Soul Seek and downloaded their whole back catalog. Um <laughs> and like, yeah, that's that's cool. You know, like just an incredible group that's uh kind of fallen through the cracks a little bit. Uh yeah, I mean I like I'll look at I was like looking at Pitchfork the other day, just like ah. seeing like what uh it's <laughs> like what they're like repping recently. Um, anything anything good or what or not yeah i mean there was a lot of like or i listened to the um, uh, like the big thief album and oh yeah uh like it seemed like they were seemed like they were talking about or reviewing a lot of like kind of newer indie rock music yeah which i hadn't heard in a while so that's cool that's, yeah, that's some of that was cool. I liked some of that. Uh, <laughs> you know, <laughs> well, I don't know. I yeah, like FK Twigs, her new album is incredible. Yeah, I've been listening to that a lot. Just lots of stuff. Well, no, that's interesting. Yeah, I really enjoyed her new album. Um, and I'm not just like a singles guy, but I honestly think that I do love this song the most. The tears in the club with the weekend. I, I don't know. I just I love that track. But did you? I imagine you listened to the weekend's new album then. Yeah, I did. I did. It was cool. I you didn't, did like it. I did. I. I mean, I. I wasn't like in love with it, but. Um, yeah, I liked it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I wish. I mean, I wish there was more when No Tricks Point Never like idiosyncrasies on it. I guess. Yeah. Uh, and I, I wish it was like sometimes those sometimes the really big big budget uh, pop albums. Um, they seem a little bit like. I don't know if it's like the mixing or what it is, but they seem a little bit like flat. Like there's not a lot of, uh, I'm not sure how to explain. I guess after that hearing, makes sense. like I'll be listening to like a lot of hyper pop or whatever. And like just the mixes are so wild and like, uh, dynamic and just like loud, like a lot of loud parts. Um, like yeah. cer- certain instruments will just be f- kind of free to be very loud. Uh, in the mix and yeah there's imperfections and when you have these big budget albums you you lose a little bit of that because it becomes so polished because there's so much ability to to clean it up i think probably too but totally a good point that's interesting for sure but i mean yeah i think it's still like it's still cool um that i mean i just liked it when otrix point never is like you know working with the with the weekend who's like, you know, the biggest streamed artist on Spotify or whatever. Um, yeah. It's wild. <laughs> it's just wild. Yeah. It's awesome. 
Well, and you know, we, you know, this idea of like kind of these underground or out, outsider, I know not everyone has the best association with the word outsider, but these musicians who come from these interesting spaces, you know, even the weekend, obviously, like to see him as a pop star now is so crazy because he started out with just these random, weird, dark R&B mixtapes. That's it very was kind true. of mystery, right? Like who he was and now he's become this and it's crazy to see, you know, people are outsiders are different or weird until they're not you know until like everyone kind of gets it they're like yeah. oh like you i really like what you're doing like <laughs> let's see how we can kind of bend it to a more popular landscape maybe but it's cool well, it's cool to see that kind of growth a lot of people yeah a lot of people still think that everything the weekend did after those like first few eps is like trash um <laughs> which is it's just yeah i i totally agree with what you're saying it's it's you're an outsider until you're not for sure yeah it's uh it's funny well so this is kind of nice you know we've talked about well this we're kind of touching on r&b spaces a little bit at least in my mind and um i want to talk about a few things well we brought up pitchfork i want to talk about your time as a as a music journalist i think that's gonna be really interesting but um while we're kind of in this r&b space Let's just talk about Giant Claw for a second. And I know that's how I discovered you. I had never heard anything like it. Um, I just was kind of blown away by this idea of mixing these R&B samples into this crazy chaotic, you know, soundscape. I, I don't really know how to describe it still. using the culture itself as like a compositional tool, like using, using the shared knowledge of music history itself as a compositional tool, like, uh, playing with, yeah, just playing with those like, uh, perceptions of, uh, (laughs) of time and place. And I don't know. Well, you know, I think uh, your couple albums before that, I think it probably really, I would imagine it would surprise people to hear R and B music in what you were doing because it was a lot of you know experimental electronic stuff and then you start hearing you have dark web and there's these samples from i've seen some debates on online like is it cisco in there is it tyrese i know there's some genuine in there do you remember any of the r&b artists that you sampled and why did you why did you pick those artists and and r&b before dark web came out i um my live music setup was like two synthesizers and uh for years i had been making kind of like abstract synthesizer music um and i had this live set basically i had this musical setup that i was like very adept at like very comfortable with um and had gotten like it was kind of just like a comfort zone or whatever um but i realized that like uh the the music i was doing wasn't it wasn't like conveying (laughs) all my my interest exactly or like my range of interest and i had like all this other musical love that was kind of just being pushed aside while i did this uh abstract synthesizer music um which you know which i love that too um that's why i started doing it i mean i loved it um but it was just it was just one side of uh yeah. or not even a side just like a fragment of 
of what what I what I liked in music in general. Um, but the the problem was that I had become so comfortable with that setup that like breaking out of it kind of felt like starting over or just like destroying everything that I had built up hmm. and just starting from square one a little bit. Um, so yeah, but, but it, it got to a point where I was like, I have to, I have to make that decision. Like I have to, uh, do something different or else I'm just going to make, start making music that I don't like, or that doesn't excite me basically. Yeah. Um, and you know, and like a big part of that was like, was like rhythm, rhythm music, R and B, um, dance music. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that, I mean, that has always been a, um, like a part of my life, something that I've been into since I was like a little kid. Um, and it felt good just to like, I guess express some of that, uh, for That's kind so of the, cool. the first time. Um, I think cause a lot of it, I felt like, I felt like I wasn't, I don't know. It it felt like I wasn't, uh, like it wasn't my place to like make that music or something before. Um, and so dark web was just kind of saying like, fuck it. Like, let me just try this. <laughs> let me like try expressing this and see, see what it sounds like. That's amazing, man. I mean, yeah. I'm so glad you did. Cause that's just like, it's all as far as my listening history and just hearing things that I felt were just like, pushing sonic boundaries but like in a pleasurable way like that's up there for me like with maybe i tried to think about it like maybe age of odds like i age of odds did a similar thing for me from sufjan and anything by sophie just these exciting albums that mm. were still felt so good but they're just like well, i've never how do they think of this you know and that's i've cool. never thought of this and so yeah i love it um well <clears throat> so okay well what what would if you had no inhibitions and you could make anything, any album you wanted, do you think you would ever make like, and maybe no one would ever hear it. Would you ever make like a pop album or an R and B album where you're actually singing? Cause I don't know if you've ever recorded your vocals or put your vocals in songs. Have you? Yeah. Um, some, some of my really old albums I would sing on. Um, and like a few, uh, like the newest death dynamic shroud album I did which is called uh, faith and persona. I like, there's a little bit of singing I did on that, but I just like pitch shifted it. Um, <laughs> the, th the thing is like, I'm not, I've never been comfortable with my voice, I guess. Um, there's always the cliche of like hating hearing your own voice. Uh, but yeah, I just, <laughs> it's like a weird mismatch when I like, when I imagine like what I wish that I could sing, like it's just very different from the, from what I actually sound like. Um, so, I mean, I guess that's another reason why I use samples a lot because it's just like, there's like not really, a, yeah, I just wish that's, I wish my voice sounded like that. Uh, I never thought not, of it like that. <laughs> there's not quite a, you know, I'm sure eventually there will be like a plugin that like alters your voice in a way that, is like more seamless than it is now um but for now like a lot of the pitch shifting plugins and stuff have this like digital artifact sound that is not 
uh it's not exactly what i want um cool or what i would like so okay i don't know but you know maybe it might be fun to experiment with my own voice more um i just need to get over that barrier of not not liking what it sounds like yeah it'll be it'll be like it'll be the dark web too where you just yeah. kind of throw everything to the wall and you're like, I'm doing this again. I have to break out of my shell. <laughs> yeah, maybe it could be. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> no, that's, that's funny. Well, yeah. So we back to, you know, the other question I want to talk about when you mentioned Pitchfork is your, um, your time as a music journalist. Cause I think we talked about that and we're like, I don't know how much that's really been spoken of and what that was like for you, but yeah. Tell me about your background, like as a writer, um, journalism and, and kind of how, like you said, you burned out on it. Yeah. Um, yeah, I was, a I was a writer for tiny mixtapes young back then. And I don't, I don't really stand by my writing back then. Um, <laughs> it was kind of just figuring, you know, figuring out taste, figuring out, figuring out what I liked. Uh, and eventually like I became a, basically a copy editor at tiny mixtapes, just like cleaning up reviews and stuff. Uh, which in itself is funny because I'm a high school dropout and don't, <laughs> and have no, you know, I have like a seventh or eighth grade education and I have no idea about sentence structure and, <laughs> but, uh, so you're editing grammar. Yeah. You know? But eventually found myself <laughs> editing people's grammar and punctuation and stuff. That's great. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, um, I think my burnout came because I just started, I just started becoming too neurotic about the nature of criticism itself of like starting with a thought, like when you dislike something, where, do, where does that come from? Like when you really think about it, uh, where, where is that coming from? Um, <laughs> and like shortly before I, I left the website, I was kind of like, um, beginning this article that was basically just all about that. Um, all about the, like the origin of taste itself or whatever. Um, wow. and it was, uh, yeah, I, what, I can't even remember what I called it. It was something about like your sphere of influence basically. Um, and the like mechanisms of distaste, <laughs> I guess you would wow. say, but, uh, basically about how you grow up and you're exposed to things and like familiarity is part of what, um, or repetition is part of what creates like this kind of gut instinct with taste. Um, and it usually like kind of starts to solidify for people in their teen teenage years, I would say where it's like, you're kind of like, uh, solidifying your identity you know and it's like people will show you something and you'll have this gut reaction of like this sucks like this is amazing <laughs> mm -hmm. and it's like do you remember when you first had that reaction like um for me like it was yeah it was like a probably around 14 or 15 maybe 16 like maybe a little bit later um before then I remember just like kind of embracing and loving literally everything that I heard. Um, so there was interesting. 
uh, a period of time kind of absent of that like gut reaction um so regardless yeah i think i i guess i could keep going talking about it for a while but to try to like sum it up uh I feel like I started feeling like taste came down to like personal judgments, essentially that like music is encoded with tons of little cultural clues, like clues about who the creator is or like the culture that they're coming from, like the, you know, the world they're from their point of view. It's like within seconds, people can pick up on these tiny little hidden clues in the music that like alerts them to some origin source of the music. And then I think most people make a really quick value judgment about where does my identity align with this music? Oh, yeah. Um, And so, yeah. And so... For a lot of music, it's like, it's just that it's, it's either an unfamiliarity with it or it's like a, a kind of like a character judgment. Um, and so as a reviewer, like trying to talk or trying to critique something you don't like without kind of like getting into the mud about all this like baggage that's involved (laughs) in like disliking something. I found to be like really mundane and difficult to write about. Um, and, and the, and the thought of like, uh, just presenting like a strong, like, like, no, this aspect of the music is not good. And saying it as like a objective statement without more like tedious back, uh, like backstory or explanation behind that thought process uh, basically, yeah, it became, I just became too neurotic about it. So I was like, fuck this. I'm going to make music. <laughs> I'm going to make it and not critique it. Not have to do that. Like mental backflips. Trying That's to, ama- yeah. That's amazing. So you, you weren't making music at that time. No, I was, I was, I still was. Uh, okay. I was, I was writing and making music. I mean, I had made music since I was younger. I had, yeah, I had been making music for many, many years at that point. Yeah. Well, that uh, this idea you talk about of you making these quick, picking up on these quick cues and being like, do I relate to this? Do I believe in it? Does it, you know, sit well with me sort of thing is, it's so interesting. And I think it makes me think of the artwork because it's, for better or worse, you know, I know personally for me, artwork can almost make or break an album, not make or break an album, but it definitely, it definitely plays a a role in it. And that's why I think for me at least, and that's why I think you, the orange milk label is so one of the great things about it because the art is so stunning. Like I could almost like an album that I might not have liked because of the artwork. And I'm just adding that sense of the artwork into the sound. Um, Mm -hmm. Do you do, do you do all the artwork for the orange milk releases? No. So I run the label with my partner, Seth Graham. Uh, and he's been doing more recently. Um, but like for the first few years, definitely I did. I would say most of the covers. Um, now, yeah, now it's now I feel like the last few, I think Seth has done, uh, it's more probably of a split now, but yeah, 
Um, yeah, a lot of the older stuff up to like 2018, 2019 was mostly stuff I was doing. They're amazing. Like even the, I've seen some of Seth's stuff too, and it's all amazing. Um, well, and I once I read somewhere in an interview that you described this approach to these album covers as like when you have 40 minutes of someone's just this recorded art, there's so many feelings in there that you can't just simply say, this is happy, this is sad. It's just way beyond that. And it's so much bigger than that. And I think you were saying you're you're expressing that your idea behind the artwork is to kind of express that idea of like just limitless feelings. Like there's a lot encased in here and I, I can't define it with one single image or feeling. It needs to be a mix of all things. Is that is that how you go how you thought about it? Yeah, it's like it, trying to do that. <laughs> but uh, it's not, you know, it's not always easy. It's like, but yeah, it's just trying to, it's trying to just capture some essence of the music through the visual without. Defining it? Yeah, well, the yeah, the artwork is, it's, it's basically a lot of, for a lot of underground artists, it's like, it is kind of like the identity of the music in a way. Um, and I've said this in interviews also, I don't know if you read, read me, heard me say it somewhere, but, uh, it's like you take an artist, like, I don't know, like Rihanna or something and like their, their like public facing identity is like their face. (laughs) It's like themselves, uh it's like they are a a personality and so it's like on the album cover usually like that's that's what's on the album cover is even though yeah that's probably a bad example because no her it's album, good well her album auntie didn't have i don't think had her face on it but uh no, re- regardless <laughs> <laughs> regardless like um uh for for more underground artists like like we're often not personalities and people's first point of contact is usually like the album cover. And so the, the art usually like kind of stands in for that equivalent, uh, identity, um, that bigger artists have just by showing themselves. So it's like, yeah, when, when you see the art, you're picking up, I mean, it's kind of what I was just saying about liking or disliking something quickly. It's like, you're picking up all these little hints about, the, the identity, like the origin, the kind of scene, the vibe of the artist. Mm-hmm. And that can a hundred percent color the perception of the actual music, like <laughs> with, without a doubt. Um, yeah. So yeah, it is, it's an important part of the whole thing to me. To have it be so fun to look at and listen to, like, I think that's a great thing that the labels accomplished. As I tried to think about experimental music and, uh, you know, what is it? I was thinking how maybe pop music is like when the person's image becomes just as important as the music itself, like their presentation, what they look like, how much you buy into that. Like maybe that's when it becomes pop, when the character itself is just as important as the music. And um, I don't know if that's true, but it's just something I thought about. But you yeah, know, I think, you have all... yeah, there's I mean, pop me like the term pop music is like. <laughs> it's so many different things now. It's not just, I, I, it's almost like you, there should be a term like celebrity music is more of like a, (laughs) is more of an appropriate term for certain strains of pop music. Do you know what I mean? Um, Yeah. 
Because like there's, there's plenty of people making pop music who have like no following or uh, or are not popular. Orange Milk and there's no, there's a lot of mystery. There's you don't see the people. It's experimental. It made me think of. I just wanted to read this quote to you from um, this guy Taylor Kirk of Timber Timber Timber. I think so you say, it, but he said. I've always felt quite strongly that music is a thing that happened a long time ago and it happened without us. I've always made recordings knowing that it was in some way a facsimile or an homage homage to all music I love. David Bowie and Prince happen to be two very rare people who were actually inventing music. Their passing brought them more forward into consciousness and I reconsidered how totally unrestricted and unbound they were by any notion of taste or genre or style. I thought, what a great way to work. (laughs) I just, I love that quote. And I just thought about experimental music and I was like, is, I want to know kind of how you define experimental music. And if it, if it, you could almost go as far to say as some experimental music is actually something that's new. Like it's not a homage to things we've heard before, but it's actually new things. I guess everything has a starting point, right? But mm-hmm. how would you define experimental music? Yeah. Uh, well, first of all, I think I'd have to read that quote again, but I, I don't, I think I might disagree with that quote. <laughs> okay. Let's hear um, it. I love it. <laughs> um, well, let me think. Yeah. I mean, about like David Bowie and stuff being truly original music or whatever. I think uh, you were saying, think, what yeah, was that was part saying, again? <laughs> so he was saying, I've always made recordings knowing that in some way it was a facsimile or homage to all the music I love. He said, David Bowie and Prince happen to be two very rare people who were actually inventing music. And if you've listened to Timber Timber, his music doesn't sound like, mm-hmm. well, who knows what else he loved, but it doesn't sound like David Bowie or Prince. But um, yeah, he, he, he felt that they were people who were actually inventing music. I think, yeah, I think a lot of the, just the trouble with all this is just like, it's like a language issue where it's like <laughs> words like inventing new like new music it's like it's kind of it's like the troubles with the words because it's like i know what someone like that is trying to say do you know what i mean but when i really think about it i'm like yeah there's no uh it's just it's just like a language issue i guess but um but like the term experimental music um same with pop music like there's a lot of different ways to take it it's like it means different things to different people it's like you could take it in just the literal sense of when you're making music are you experimenting like Mm. um and you know by that by that measurement like there is a lot of music that is experimental music uh for most people when you when they hear the term experimental music they think of um like a certain style of music that probably started with like i i don't know i think a a lot of people probably think of maybe like 70s like uh like penderecki like the dissonant string stuff (laughs) or they'll think of like horror movie soundtracks or just like abstract noise harsh noise um they'll think of basically music that is outside of like the the pop music idiom essentially um music with less structure yeah 
structureless music that yeah that's one way um so it's like the term like the term experimental music can be useful in that like in the sense of like categorizing music in those ways when you need to do you know what i mean sure Uh, sure um so that like to me that is the use for it but like it's not when i'm actually making music (laughs) i'm never thinking like i need to make this more experimental or like do you know what i mean it's like sure i'm not i don't i'm not thinking about it i'm just like kind of following a whim or following an idea um but it's never as like it's never thinking about music in those terms which are largely defined by like our language and stuff if if that makes sense it does it's really interesting i think it's it's good for me too like just to start thinking like labels are invented you know like by radio chart billboard charts and journalists as ways to like but music is music and you if you can put a label on it to pr- try to put in a category that i guess works for some like you said certain conversations but that's that right. limits the music because it's bigger than that and the artist is bigger than one specific area so I'm going to, I'm going to hold on to that. I really like that. Um, I mean, I don't, yeah, I, I, there's like, I don't have a problem with the, all these terms. Like there's a use for all of them, uh, in certain circumstances, but the same with like the idea of new music, it's like, you know, every, every piece of music is like, is new in its own way. And every, and every piece of music is not in its own way. It's just hard to pin down, uh, in what context like music is is new or whatever um like to me to me someone like david bowie was was taking firm musical traditions and playing with them um and you know a lot of the stuff i do is taking musical tradition and playing with them uh yeah i think maybe the term new music is to me more aligned with like uh like new technology and stuff like when there's new like a lot of trends in, in modern music happen when there's like a new synthesizer or like a new plug-in now or like yes you know like like fm synthesis granular synthesis uh like the explosion of like digital instruments of like all these like boutique plugins. Uh, yeah. with like vaporwave plugins that like stretch like time stretching like the Paul stretch uh plugin which can like um which was responsible for all those like Justin Bieber slowed down 800% videos <laughs> that I can that like I consider the precursor to like vaporwave music like it, wow. like all that all those things center around like new technologies um so I love that yeah so I guess when I think of like new music, I kind of, that's kind of where my mind goes, but still, yeah, it's all building on, it's all just building on thousands of years of shit. That, uh, sure, it's, sure. Hard, it's hard to, hard to kind of wrap your head around. No, you're right. Like, you know, a person like you're, you know, a person that drops an album this year in 2022 could have had several songs with pieces that they actually thought of or even recorded in 2010 or 2014. Like how new is really new but when you tie in that idea of like how new technology influences new styles of music or just new that's really interesting like i think of i get herbie hancock comes to mind but the way these people 
fell in love with synthesizers and really mm. understood them and then would apply that to new recordings. Um, that that produced some really interesting stuff. And that's a really good way to look at it. I think that's cool. Um, yeah, there's a great video of Herbie Hancock and Quincy Jones. Uh, I don't know if you've seen this, where there's kind of like huddled around. Like, mm-hmm. I don't know if it's a fair light or like, an a early, like uh, yeah, like an early sampling synth. And it's, yeah. it's just, an, I just love that video. Like I love Herbie Hancock so much musically and just like his personality <laughs> for sure the dude was he had like a spiritual relationship with synthesizers yeah i i have that video actually on my on musically proper's instagram you can see that video there and i kind of tied a little bit of history to it because for the longest time there were two songs like there's from a beat tape by this european musician ivan ab he's kind of a hip-hop guy Mm-hmm. He had taken samples of that conversation where Herbie's saying the machines, you know, people built the machines, but they just meant it's a tool, tool that people use. And then I had heard it in um, this guy, Jay Watson, who plays in Tame and Tame and Paula's live band he, uh, oh. from the band Pond. He had used it, too, in this song called uh, Glamorous Damage. And and I heard this voice and I was like, this is Jill Scott Heron. Who's got this powerful, distinct voice that's talking about machines and synthesizers? And I finally discovered that video of him and Quincy. And I'm just like, wow, this, what an influential scene. Like it's lasted yeah. years. It's in songs. It's so crazy. I would love, I, yeah, I would watch like hours of, of, uh, of just them, you know, playing those keyboards and talking. And <laughs> uh, I wish, I wish that that footage existed. Um, that's pretty awesome. Yeah. There was a, there's a Herbie Hancock song called rain dance from, uh, the album sex tent from like the early seventies. Um, that is, that I just, I'd still come back to every now and then it's just like, it's just like this great mix of, uh, like kind of seventies jazz fusion stuff with, um, with like early synthesize synthesizer sounds. Um, it's just this like amazing blend. And I remember hearing that and I feel like that was maybe the first time I heard like, uh, this like sub bass on like a, such an old record, but like, <laughs> I think the synth, the synthesizer does this like super low note. Um, this almost like sounds like an, an 808 kick almost like before the, before the 808 existed. Um, so yeah, that, I don't know. I just always I think that. of that track. Yeah. I would, you should, you should check that track. Out. I'm going to go really to that track <laughs> for sure. Well, we obviously love Herbie Hancock. I, it, he, he just heard things differently. And, and yeah, he talks about when he made um that big hip hop song, like it's called rocket or something. I, can't, I think it's called rocket. Yeah. He talks about, because he took turntable scratching and he and he kind of he looped it in an interesting way throughout that. But he says the first time he heard scratching, he heard it as kind of an ambient noise, mm. an ambient sound, but in a rhythmic way. And I was just like, wow, dude, like he's just tuned differently. But um, yeah, there was yeah. never it's like to have that context. Yeah, it's like you have to have a mindset that's just completely before the like <laughs> rise of, of hip hop, basically. That's true. <laughs> that's so true. Well, um, I think, you know, we open this up for guest questions. And like I said, there's some good ones that came in all good. And so I think we can, uh, let's just, if you're good with that, let's, let's run through some of these. That sound good. Sure. Okay. So this first one, uh, says this is from at hanging underscore ham. Nice. In the description for the newest Panda or Padner record, 
Seth mentioned you two share an affinity for avant-garde classical. Has that influenced your music in any capacity? And any are there any composers in particular that you look to? Avant-garde classical. Yeah. Um, yeah, me and Seth both really like um, a lot of that, like, 60s, 70s kind of back then uh, kind of modern classical stuff. Um, like Henrik Grecki or Gretzky is the like his symphony number three is like one of my favorite pieces um yeah i know there's i haven't thought that's about, awesome i haven't that's thought perfect. about this stuff in a while but yeah there's um yeah that's just like a genre that um has a lot of cool stuff and um i'd i feel like it was more influential to me when i was like kind of learning about music and just like kind of seeing like where the boundaries of music were. Um, but there's certain pieces that have like still stayed with me. And uh, I'm trying to think there's this one artist, me and Seth love who we always listen to, but I can't, I can't, can't think of name. <laughs> <laughs> well, if it comes back, um, shout it out, but that's great. That the one you mentioned, I'm going to, I'll check that out. And uh it's funny because the term avant-garde classical, for one, it's interesting when you say 60s, 70s, because I wouldn't have pegged that era as maybe a time for that. I've never, I don't know if I've really thought about the term avant-garde classical, but I almost, and again, like we've said, words, we just use them. Uh, everyone yeah. here sees it differently. I almost think of dark web as avant-garde classical. And the way I can almost make a connection there is like, there's some really interesting classical pieces in, in hip hop, like the way the classical violin strings are used. Uh, in fact, at the start of juveniles back that ass up it's like dun, 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 dun. it's like a classical violin piece um but yeah that's kind of i think I, I think of dark web as like this avant-garde classical sound and it's got <laughs> r&b in it and so anyways yeah um, i mean it's it's kind of the same situation like i'm pretty sure avant-garde just means like new music um and then like tying it to the word classical music is also like <laughs> just like a weird uh, it's kind of like a weird uh, term that I feel like, like why didn't people like people in academia or, or something should have come up with more <laughs> terms to describe this stuff. Um, I don't know yeah. why they haven't. It's like, that's one good thing about like internet culture is that like, um, that people are just like coining millions of like subgenres. So it's like for people who are really in the weeds, like they can, uh, they can get pretty specific when they're talking about <laughs> music. Um, I like that. The one good yeah. thing about internet culture. <laughs> That's no, great. There's plenty. There's plenty. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. Okay. So, um, like, did I answer that? Was there another part of that question that I did not answer? No, he just wanted to know, like, has avant-garde classical influenced your music and any composers? And I think you, you named one specifically. I think that's that's perfect. Um, yeah, there's tons. Like, uh, there, yeah, it has, <laughs> for <yeah>. sure. <laughs> yes, hard yes. Uh, so next, at genderless, genderful girl, says, Keith, when are you going to use the ant? Oh, that this is a... Uh the person asking this is Galen Tipton who 
Uh, I don't know if have you heard her music before, Galen Tipton? I haven't. I'm gonna check it out. Yeah, it's cool. She's another Columbus artist. Uh, so we we live kind of near each other, and she does like really good hyper pop stuff, but also um, a lot of like more what people would call sound design, like kind of abstract playing with <laughs> just like texture and sound and uh so yeah I'd, rec- I'd recommend galen stuff for sure and okay. what she's talking about is like i have i rendered this ant in photoshop mm. like a, a long time ago and i keep like trying to put like put it in a in a piece <laughs> but it just never works out so it's like oh my gosh so it's like every new piece i make now i just kind of like drop in this ant just to like see if it is gonna work in the piece, but I haven't found a spot for it yet. The infamous ant. I'm gonna be looking out for that now. That's amazing. Yeah. Okay. This is from at Kong Kongarin. Kongarin says, Do you find making art and music one and the same? Uh like they have the same end goal or mission, or do you view them differently? Like what's the meaning motivation behind your music and art? I like that. I think you've kind of talked about that before. Like art is very different because so much of it is commissioned and it's you trying yeah. to capture someone else's view. Yeah. And music's probably more free for you. It's more your expression. Yeah, for sure. Like the money aspect kind of colors a lot of, a lot of uh, creative work, I would say. Um, but, you know, it's like the impulse of making art is kind of similar across the board probably but yeah when you're trying to like when you're doing a commission it's just not the same as when you're <laughs> just sitting down to make something like clearly yeah. it's uh and so for most of my adult life my visual art has been in like the context of essentially trying to please somebody else um yeah or even when it wasn't like for a lot of orange milk covers, I would kind of kind of do what I wanted or, you know, have more freedom, but still in the back of my mind, it would be like, this is for somebody else. Like, um, so my music is just way more has, has been way more for myself, just like trying to please internal standards. Whereas my visual art has, I would say been more trying to please like external standards or something like that. Wow. That's actually great. I didn't expect you to distinguish between the two like that, but that's a great answer. That's a great question. Okay. So from at concept underscore rich, just want to know musical influences. Like what are they um, for music for design? Maybe just shout out like one, one big influence for music that we haven't talked about. And then maybe one for design. I was actually curious too, like what maybe current artists or even whoever comes to mind. Let's see. For music, uh, a lot of times I'll reference like um, things like the Akira soundtrack, like that anime Akira, mm-hmm. uh, the Gainoi Yamashiro Gumi Orchestra. If <laughs> cool. I'm saying if I'm saying that right, um, uh, yeah, their like whole discography has kind of been like an enduring influence to me. It's, it's not something I like put on constantly, but it's just something I've like occasionally put on for like most of my life, if that makes sense. Um, so it's just, uh, 
Yeah, certain things like that where it's like you loved it when you were young and you kind of still love it now. Uh, that's an example. And kind of connected to that, there's like this uh, there's like this Bulgarian choir album, like the mystery of the the female or the Bulgarian voice or something. I don't know. It's uh, <laughs> the the the, the album title is, is in French, but it translates to something like that. Uh, but it was this like, yeah, there's this, it was, I think it was like these eighties compilations of like this Bulgarian choir music. And it's just like wow. some of my favorite music I've ever heard. Um, so yeah, those, Sick. uh, those are two, two things that I would say. That's great. And then for, um, for design, like any influences you can name there, <clears throat> Yeah, there's tons. Um, Take maybe one off the top. Sure. Like, I w- I've been mentioning this artist, Diane Liang. Liang. I don't know if I'm saying her name right either. But, uh, and, and Dave Shen is another artist on Instagram. Um, uh-huh. they're, they're, I mean, they're contemporary. Like, they're, they're people I've talked to and kind of know through Instagram. But, uh I really, really like their art. So I would say those two people as of right now. Okay. Yeah. I can't wait to, to look those, uh, look them up. Okay. Um, let's see. There's okay. So what, what's your preferred, this from at got to be Jack. Uh, what's your preferred way of collaborating and why like musically or visually preferred way of collaborating? I like to collaborate in person usually that's my favorite um just because it's easier to like focus and sit down in front of a computer and kind of get in the same headspace or whatever mm-hmm. uh a lot of times yeah i i kind of have trouble focusing when i'm collaborating just like sending files back and forth um yeah. <laughs> that makes sense for whatever yeah for whatever reason so but you know, it's like, that's the, I live in Ohio in the Midwest, of the United States, and I do not live close to many people. So it's, it's tough to like collaborate for me in that sense. Yeah. Well, no, that's, and that's actually brings up an interesting point. Um, it, you know, we, like I mentioned earlier, like you're an outsider until you're not, you know, some of these great people who are maybe in the Midwest or anywhere that's not a major scene per se, sometimes end up moving somewhere like obviously New York or LA. Um, and sometimes that makes a difference, but I'm, I've, I'm kind of curious, like what, what's kept you in Ohio? You probably don't care. Maybe you don't care about breaking out or like, what is, what's kept you in Ohio? Um, I feel like the Midwest is like (laughs) really a part of me or just like the pace kind of slower pace of life and stuff. And, um, I've like traveled around the United States from touring with music and like at this, it, it, at the same time you get a sense that like how, how similar a lot of the United States is like when you're traveling around, it's like, um, like rest stops and stuff and restaurants <laughs> start to feel <laughs> very similar whether, yeah, like even though you're like, 20 hours apart, uh, 
across the like expanse of the United States. But also, yeah, like, but also, of course, like New York City and like LA and like the bigger cities are very different as far as uh, like pace of life and stuff. Um, so it just it just suits who you are. Yeah, things even th- like simple things like parking. I mean, obviously higher rent. Yeah. Um, Quality of life. I just yeah. I think if I hadn't like toured, like and done the traveling that I did, that maybe I would have been like, I need to see, I need to like live somewhere else. But uh, I feel like I got a taste of like, like a little flavor of what what it might be like in bigger cities, and it was like, no, I'm, I, I like it, I like <laughs> it here, yeah. That's that's cool, man. Okay, um, well, so there's just let's see, there's one two three four five there's five questions left how are we doing do you, you want to cover a couple of those yeah i'm good i'm good we can we can keep going okay cool so um at hotel shampoo asked what are some movies that inspire you uh, or even just your favorite i know you've talked about horror and anime so i'm guessing maybe there's some from there but what, what's <laughs> something we might not guess like is it you know the great outdoors maybe some john candy like what's what's one of keith's favorite favorite movies oh wow yeah inspire you um yeah i was i I mean i love (laughs) i love seeing movies like um especially like before covid i would go to the theater like constantly um as a way to chill out and just like focus on something other other than like work or whatever i was working on um Love that. So like, yeah, I mean, even just yesterday, um, I saw this movie, the worst person in the world, um, which was really good. And I saw it back to back with like the new Batman movie. Dang. <laughs> so yeah, I would usually like see like a few in a row, like he's going hard. <laughs> yeah, I would go hard. Like I, I remember seeing like, uh, 12 years a slave followed by the like Hobbit movie that was out at the time. And just like, probably like the worst, like the worst double feature that could (laughs) ever be imagined. Like (laughs) that's so crazy. I can even, I could never even imagine that. (laughs) Yeah. It was was terrible. It was terrible. Like, (laughs) like the Hobbit felt like I was watching just like a two hour, like Xbox cut scene. Um, (laughs) um, but yeah, when I was younger, I was really into like Jean-Luc Godard and um and like that whole like new wave stuff and uh and like Ingmar Bergman. Like I love the movie Persona, especially like the intro of that mu- movie is like kind of blows me away still. Uh I really like sci-fi stuff. Um yeah, any like any That's big great. budget any big budget sci-fi movie that comes out, like I'm very excited about. And I always wish that I could do the soundtrack to them. Um, yes. <laughs> so I was wondering about that. Yeah. There's, cool. um, yeah, and there's tons of anime. I love like, I'm trying to think of some good recommendations, like the movie mind game maybe is a recommendation. Uh, Lots of stuff. 
<laughs> okay. Dude, that's awesome. Well, you said big budget sci-fi, which surprised me. I wouldn't have maybe thought big budget, but I'm just going to throw this out there. And these these two aren't even really sci-fi, but they came to mind. Interstellar or Avatar? You, you have to go see one. Which one are you picking right now? Um, Probably Interstellar because... <laughs> I have I have a really fond memory of seeing that movie in the theaters because like same, uh, <laughs> mostly because the music like I don't know if they just mixed that movie loud as hell but like or if the theater I was in was just like cranked up but it was like the loudest movie experience I'd ever been to and wow. it was just like incredible just like uh, yeah like a lot of the like kind of like slowly building like organ music and stuff uh just blasted very loud and like surround sound <laughs> like i just have a really fond memory of like the intensity of the music in that movie so i say big budget because it's like there's just things you can do it's like it, like these big movies are are so mind-blowing to me it's just like this like collect yeah, like just this collective effort of thousands of artists like dealing with millions of dollars and creating <laughs> these like insane pieces of work, like of collaborative work. Uh, like the artistry in the movies is really intense and like impressive a lot of the time. I think like they get a bad taste from a lot of times the scripts maybe are like are more uh kind of like i don't know like lowest common denominator or something i don't know if that's a good term but uh sure. yeah i'm not i'm not really sure how else to describe it like it's it's kind of this like weird clash between these like shitty scripts <laughs> and this like just incredible artistry of like collective effort into the music and cg and like the art and like the costumes and all that stuff so okay so let's see how will decentralized audio platforms change how you profit from music i guess i guess the thing that i do know about is that <laughs> it would be, it's just it's hard to imagine right now a place like that existing without trying to like skim money off um so i don't know i mean it'd be incredible if if uh if a place like that came around like i know this place nina market that some like old noise artists kind of are spearheading it's like a it's a, like a blockchain kind of Bandcamp alternative um but it's still like in its early stages and it's like, I'm not really sure how they're going to like keep it going, like pay for the, the like file hosting and stuff. It's like, With the, yeah, it's like, it's like as long as music files are being stored somewhere, I feel like there has to be a price, I guess. But, um, but you also have to assume that it, could be less than like what Bandcamp is taking for instance um, exactly so it's like yeah i don't know i guess i don't really know enough about it to like intelligently comment i would say that's cool though no and even shouting out the the you know noise people that 
you mentioned are starting something. That's just kind of cool to know that people are at least attempting to to get there. Yeah, uh, I hope so. I mean, I hope I hope people do. Um, I know yeah. there's like tons of debate about like Web three stuff and like if it's gonna kind of fulfill all these promises or just like be a like a kind of fall flat or whatever or just be like a place for investors to try to sink money into but yeah i mean i i hope i hope it turns out (laughs) good um there's got to be some there's got to be some interesting or like helpful repercussions um it kind of it kind of just depends on like the people you know what i mean it's like the people involved it's like can you trust people to um to like bring in money without um without hoarding it or something i don't know yeah Yeah, i should i shouldn't even comment on it because i really don't know enough about it I don't either. I told and I told because I know I I know who asked the question. I was like, I don't know if, you know, I don't even know the context for this. But like he's like, well, let's just see where it goes. But I I like I still like the points that you made. So um, so this is from Andy, the effing pirate. How should one go about learning music theory? Is it helpful when sampling songs? Um, I mean, I think it's helpful for me, like. A little bit um most of what i learned is just from youtube and stuff um or just like you know just kind of playing the piano being younger playing the piano and kind of like picking things up here and there um i i do know a lot of artists who like kind of uh, made made albums or made music and then later on expressed frustration that they didn't know like more not necessarily music theory but just like music fundamentals um uh like harm harmony fundamentals i guess uh to like push their sound further in that direction um so yeah so what was what was the no. question again how to go about learning for well, yeah i mean you mentioned youtube i think that's a i think that's like makes sense for the time we live in it's it's super easy way to learn things but just the example of you sharing like is it helpful and you mentioning people you know of times where artists have been like i kind of wish i understood this better and like and maybe i could have got closer to what i wanted on the album that's super interesting to hear so i think that's a solid answer yeah and there's i mean there's obviously tons of like like my label partner seth doesn't know much music theory i think he knows like he learned how to play guitar and so it's like there's like knowing chord changes and stuff um so there is that basis but like i don't think he knows a ton more and can still make you know a lot of beautiful music like there's (laughs) it's certainly not necessary but it's just like if you want to go in that direction like if you hear music that seems like there's uh, a counterpoint or like more intricate harmony stuff in it, then yeah, you should consider yeah getting on YouTube or like taking a class or something. I don't know. I love that, dude. I think that's, that's really cool to think about, especially for someone like me, like who 
consumes and thinks about music so much but like hasn't ever really thought about touching that you know theory level of it um it's really interesting so yeah okay so there's there's two more and these are pretty like kind of abstract questions themselves not even totally sure. music related and i but i uh-huh. think they actually are fair with your art and uh and music so from at alignment change do you remember your dreams often <laughs> that the, i know the person who asked this it's uh their name is sweet and they they're a musician themselves and like tour with that, uh, the group machine girl, um, who was like oh, a yeah. great, a uh, great, great band. Uh, no, I don't, I don't often remember my dreams. Like in the last few years, there's still some dreams. I remember from when I was really young, like really vivid dreams. Um, and I've all like, I've also had issues like sleep issues pretty much since I was a teenager. Um, so like, huh. I just had like a lot of bad kind of like memories around sleep. Like I would have like sleep paralysis and stuff. Um, huh. and, uh, my whole sleep, like my circadian rhythm is really messed up. So like my sleep schedule just like keeps cycling around. Um, so sometimes like my days will be night. Um, yeah, it's like a whole, I, I, I won't get into it more, but it's That's just, crazy, uh, though. yeah, it's like a whole, it's a whole crazy aspect of my life uh, revolving around sleep. Um, well, I think it's really interesting to hear because as a, a fan of your music, I just start thinking, oh, I wonder how much that plays into your music without you even, you know, consciously and subconsciously. So I think that's interesting. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's sure uh, it, it, it plays into, I mean, it's just kind of like your whole life plays into what you produce. So it's like, it's got, yeah, it's all there somewhere. For sure. Well, so, and I think this, this question is very kind of ties into this topic from at Colin Reyes forever. Have you felt like you had no grip on reality? <laughs> Yeah, for sure. Um, that actually does tie into what I was saying. Cause sometimes, um, yeah, sometimes I'll like when my sleep pattern is really messed up, I'll end up staying awake for like, like two days or something. And, uh, and the, then you enter a point where it's almost like a zombie stage where it's like, where it feels like, you are looking down on reality from like an, (laughs) almost like an out of body experience. Um, Uh. but you know, it's like not to get too heavy, but like just like things like depression and stuff like that are similar, like out of body. Um, like you're kind of looking down on yourself from like a, like a different perspective or something and just feeling like, like life is not real or like <laughs> that's crazy or, or that like we, we kind of like have these routines or like, uh, rules of behavior that are like, um, they're, they're just like based on like a mutual trust, like a social trust. And that like, <laughs> when you're like looking at it from this outside perspective, it seems like it could fall apart really easily if people just kind of started ignoring this, like these like 
social bonds or or like social trust, uh, kind of like this unspoken agreement amongst people to like behave a certain way or follow certain like rules of politeness or something like that. Um, I don't know. That's kind of a long winded answer. No, I love it, man. I'm sure he's going to love, love the answer. Um, well, okay. And so this is, I forgot there's one more, but this is, this is like a fun one. This is from the homie, uh, John Gassett. His question is how long did you deliver Chinese food and Kettering with Brian Baker? Yeah, this is someone from, um, from where I grew up, Dayton, Ohio. Um, someone from like my, my hometown and yeah, I worked at a Chinese restaurant, um, (laughs) for years, like, like five or six years. Um, I worked, uh, I was delivering Chinese food and, uh, worked at this Chinese restaurant, which was like kind of a crazy experience because, the owners, it was like, um, it was a husband and wife were the owners. Uh, and they were like pretty much the only employees. And then they would hire random people. I think the turnover was like really quick. They'd hire, hire delivery drivers. Um, so I got a job there, like doing, just doing deliveries for them. Um, but like kind of stayed on and then like started, working the phone and stuff and they, and they would have their kids there. So like I would almost like babysit their kids a lot <laughs> and like kind of keep their kids occupied. Um, and you stuck around doing this for six years. Yeah, it was, uh, well, cause, all, cause also it's like, I'd be in the car a lot, just driving and kind of like listening to music and having that alone time and to be able to like, really like, you know, spend time just like listening to music was getting paid. I don't, yeah. Getting paid. I don't, I kind of enjoyed that aspect of it. That's sick. That makes sense. That's cool, man. Well, and just briefly too, cause we didn't talk about death dynamic shroud. I mean, I, what I've heard, I love that, you know, the top song on Spotify, the CD player is dang, like it's just, it's bliss. I, you know, and it's, I always thought, I always thought it was funny that people kind of lumped your music in with Vaporwave because everything I've heard from Giant Claw, if Vaporwave is like really slowed down music, you know, that's just one way to look at it. I've never really thought of your music as Vaporwave, but what I've heard from CD player maybe has a little bit more of those tropes in it. Yeah, or sorry, Death Dynamic Shroud. How do yeah. you, how do you differentiate between those groups? Like, how do you see them as being offering different things? What, what are the different sounds? Yeah, it's 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 funny that people would call giant claw stuff vaporwave because <laughs> I mean, because in my mind, it's I mean, there's like tangential relationships to the scene and stuff, or like to sampling and all that. But yeah, but yeah, it's like, are you gonna call like you mentioned like John Oswald? Like, is that vaporwave? Like, I don't know. <laughs> I think so, yeah, I could, may, maybe like if someone calls it, it's like. If someone calls it that, then it is. Um, sure. <clears throat> uh, I think it mostly comes from the fact that I, on Bandcamp, when Dark Web came out, like I tagged it Vaporwave. Oh, okay. And so I, <laughs> so I feel like it's my, it's my doing and like it has stuck. Um, <laughs> That's awesome. But, but also aside from that, I feel like the visual side, like, yeah, like, like Vaporwave, a lot of it is very, um, kind of like almost a visual genre first in a, in a sense, at least at this point. Um, yeah. 
so like yeah like the cover from dark web like is definitely playing with some of the like what have now become like the vaporwave tropes like the roman bust and all that yeah uh but anyway um i think death dynamic shroud its origins are more firmly rooted in like the beginnings of vaporwave of kind of like um yeah kind of like discovering this like alternate world in pop music like where you take a pop song and it's like you slow it down and all of a sudden it is just like another thing like another piece of music like the 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 tempo and the pitch (laughs) suddenly is revealed to be this like like just like a whole nother layer of of meaning in the music like so if you take if you like adjust it it is something very very different and it's like does that mean that all music has this like these like infinite layers of alternate (laughs) uh realities or something inside of them uh so yeah i mean cool so i think destiny shroud is more the roots of it are more in that kind of idea of like trying to get new meaning out of music through like messing with it uh to put it simply uh i love it yeah but it's i mean now it has changed a lot (laughs) and it's not not necessarily that now but for sure like the the songs that have a lot of plays on spotify i think are like closer in that in that zone like from the earlier stuff but that's cool man we'll look forward to the death dynamic shroud thanks again for taking the time keith yeah absolutely no problem thanks for talking (laughs) 